Coming up on this week's episode of Check Your Balances, we try to unpack the failure of a $32 billion company. Stick around. That's coming up next. Check Your Balances is a show produced and owned by Craftwork Capital. The views expressed by the hosts and their guests are personal opinions and should not be considered personal financial advice or the opinion of Craftwork Capital. All investments have risk and may lose money. Consult with your financial advisor, tax preparer, or attorney prior to implementing anything discussed. And please do not use this show as the sole basis for financial decisions. Welcome back to another episode of Check Your Balances. I am Ross Anderson, joined as always by my friend and co-host, Dan Maseka, fresh off of his trip to the House of Mouse. We're back. It was a great trip. Everyone had a, a good time. It was my first time experiencing Star Wars land, the Star Wars area in Disney, which was the highlight for me. Uh, we got a little bit of rain, but it didn't impact our ability to have fun. And I am thankful for the experts that gave us guidance along the way to avoid queues and make sure we weren't uh, you know, exhausted uh, waiting in lines at, at Disney. Yeah, I mean, the fact that you were able to avoid the weather uh, that was going on, Florida just had another hurricane roll through. So uh, I'm grateful that you are back safe and sound. I hope any of our listeners that are down in that area are as well. But glad uh, you had a good trip down there. In the meantime, while you were off having fun, uh, I was working on my golf club flipping business, which I suggested on our Side Hustles episode. And I realized just how of a stunningly bad idea that actually is because I got chewed up in shipping. Now, if I were actually going to do that, I have better ways to do it. I think there's two challenges. Number one is securing the box that you need to ship a golf club early. Now, if you buy them, you can buy golf club size boxes, by the way. But you buy them in like packs of 25. Unless you're selling 25 golf clubs, that didn't help me. I tried to get one for free by popping into my local golf store. They had already crushed their boxes down for the day. And so I ended up having to purchase one, which was like a $12 box at the UPS store, and then got chewed up on shipping. I think I made like 6 bucks selling a golf club that had a cost to me of zero. So that is not the lucrative business that I suggested it was. And it at least needs a little bit of retooling if anybody's going to try it. Right. At least you have one under your belt and you can improve for next time. There's very few places to go but up from that experience. That was a, a pretty bad sale. I could have sold it for 20 bucks on Craigslist and, and done better. I had apparently uh, misstated how much I thought I could ship that club for. So that was on me. I screwed that up. I hope nobody has gone into that business since our last Side Hustle episode. I also identified an arbitrage opportunity on Facebook Marketplace, as you described, might be a lucrative endeavor last time. Uh, I found a guitar, an old Johnson resonator guitar set up for slide that was selling for about a quarter of what it sells for used in other places. I figured I should scoop that up. If I like it, I can keep it. Or I can take it down to the music store around the corner from me. They'll probably pay me twice what I bought it for and uh, turn a nice little profit. That's not really in the spirit of decluttering if you just keep the guitar that you bought. But I do appreciate that you found a good deal and that you're excited about it. Yeah, I think I'll probably get rid of it. Every time I look to learn a new instrument or I think slide guitar, the way this is set up is is different from what I do. Um, I learned that uh, I'm not really into learning new things. I know what I know, and that's how it's probably going to be the, for, the, for the rest of my life. I mean, there's an, an aside there, but I do always wonder about that path. Like, Do we like the things that we're good at? 
right? So like, do we fall in love with these hobbies and we like them so we become good? Or are we good so we like them because we simply like being good at it? I think that's a really interesting path. And obviously, there's some level of effort that you need to go through to build a skill at anything that you're doing. But there is some level of joy that we get in simply doing something you're good at. And even if that's repetitive, uh, whether that's playing an instrument, playing golf, whatever it is you do in your free time, uh, I think there's something to that. Yeah, I think it's a matter of time. You know, as a kid, when at least I was first learning guitar, I probably played for three or four hours a day because I didn't have that many obligations. You know, to be able to sit and do something for that long would be, you know, it'd be me ignoring my family, my work life, and not sleeping. Um, but maybe one day I'll, I'll be able to carve that time out and learn the saxophone like I've always wanted to or slide guitar. Yeah, it's, it's tough to go and be bad at something again. Uh, I, I really admire people that can do that well and, and like can just simply without reservations try something new and just suck for a while. Um, and it's something I aspire to do, but also I, I struggle with the time commitment that uh, it would take to get good. And it's kind of like, well, why, why try this if I can't at least get to some level of accomplishment? That being said, that's not our main topic today. We are going to do our best to unpack what I think has been the story of the last week or so, uh, maybe one of the bigger stories of the year, which is a tremendous and catastrophic collapse of the FTX cryptocurrency exchange, which was valued before this happened at more than $32 billion dollars a market cap that would put it well inside the S&P 500, which we kind of consider to be a large cap stock. Yeah, I mean, that's huge. FTX, the second largest cryptocurrency exchange at the time, I mean, their collapse impacted thousands and thousands of people, if not, you know, potentially millions. Yeah, and and it's a lot of retail folks, for sure. It's going to be institutional folks. I mean, you've definitely had people... Kevin O'Leary has come out and talked about how he got like wiped out in this. I think he was a shareholder of the company. You've also had some things go on in terms of possible account hacking on the platform itself. You've got frozen redemptions. There's just a ton to unpack here. You've even got FTX Arena, which is down in Miami. They had named an arena and they're like already taking the name off of it. Now, Again, this is a little bit strange, and this has nothing to do with what happened. I don't think they've even missed a payment. How do you get your name taken off the arena that fast? You've already made a down payment, I'm sure, to put your name on the building. You've paid for the signs. Do they? I mean, maybe it's just a clause that says if you do something that we find publicly unstable to our brand, we can like strip your name off of it. But that's crazy to me. You, you don't even get thrown out of a home. You can't get evicted from a home in 30 days. And in a week, they're already taking the name of the stadium down. Yeah, I think you're right. I read an ESPN article about how they paid for the naming rights. And it was a upfront lump payment, which clearly they made. And then incremental payments for, I believe it was a 19-year term. But uh I think it is no longer FTX Arena, even though they'll still refer to it as such until they sell the naming rights to whoever comes along next. That's amazing. So what actually happened here? And I think, you know, for our audience, we've got some folks that are really into the crypto stuff. You and I have been on record as, uh, I'm going to call it skeptics of its utility. Not necessarily that it's a bad thing, but but definitely in the skeptical camp of kind of show me something. 
We are looking smarter every day for that, which is something that you and I need. We, we occasionally do need to look smarter. That being said, I want to, again, say this is not a celebration of this downfall. This is a bad thing. This is a bad thing for financial markets. It is a bad thing for trust in what we do, which is investing, investing across any asset class. Lack of faith in that system is not good. Um, And there's a bunch of different things that we can talk about on why this is different than maybe some other markets you can and do participate in. But let's talk about what happened. So Dan, my understanding is that FTX had set up their own token. So this is their own cryptocurrency, which they were allowing people to trade, but they were also the support system for creating that token. Is that your understanding as well? Correct. Yep. FTT is the token that they created and set up. Uh, Unlike Bitcoin, it was made out of thin air, basically. It is not a decentralized token you know, as as some people might be familiar with. It was something that they made, I think, much like a Dogecoin or something like that. They just decided this is going to be created and it was there and they can they started issuing it and transacting in it. And then while all of that is going on, so they've kind of created a market for this thing. They've said that it is valuable. The market has basically agreed because people are buying and selling it and it's exchanging hands, which validates the market. At every transaction, you're essentially validating that market. And then as the creator of that coin, FTX decides to start financing their business by borrowing against it. Because by saying it has value, we have validated its value. People are spending the equivalent of X number of US dollars. So you can think of that as an asset worth X number of US dollars. And we're just going to borrow some money and uh, use a little leverage to keep our business going. Because borrowing is a normal thing that a business might do. For sure. Yep. They did that. And then to muddy things a little more, not only do we have FTX as a player in this, you know, in this collapse, but Sam Bankman-Fried, the founder of FTX, also founded another company called Alameda Research, which is, you know, a trading company of his. And what happened in early November is a balance sheet leaked of Alameda Research finding I think billions of dollars worth of FTT on their balance sheet, which is some self-dealing that I don't think people were aware of and showing that so much of this created token was held by his own company and like limiting the circulation and the utility of it, I think caused some red flags to go up in the air. So that's like the equivalent. I'm going to try and build an analogy and I don't have a great one, but if I had a bag of 10,000 marbles because I had the ability to create marbles for absolute free. And I go out and I find one kid in my street, and I'm like, hey, I've got a marble for you. This is going to be five bucks. And I convince them to buy the marble for five bucks. And then I go to a lender and say, look, I've got this bag of marbles. This is clearly worth a million bucks, because I got this kid to pay five for one, and I've got enough that I, this should be worth a million dollars. So you're doing that, and then you're taking most of the marbles out of circulation by yourself because if if there's not that much of like a a, a supply, if we think about it as law of supply and demand, if you've restricted supply, demand should be higher is basically what's going on. And he has moved the marbles from one pocket of his to another 
Does that track is that's essentially what we're saying has happened here. He's he's created a phantom marble value and then he's kind of switched which pockets they're in to recapitalize multiple businesses as well as potentially prop the price up. Yes, certainly that. And it looks like they also lent client funds from FTX to Alameda to have Alameda pay back either liabilities or finance other investments. So on top of the issue with this proprietary token that they created, customer money was taken out of FTX and lent to Alameda, another controlled company of Sam Bankman-Fried, which is certainly not kosher. That that would not fly under most people, uh, you know, most people's scrutiny. So, you know, there's several versions of this that happen every day in our financial system that are okay. And there's a bunch of like threads that we just touched on here that are what make this not okay. I think the first thing that is tough to understand here is whether or not these cryptocurrencies are being treated like a currency or like a security. And there's a very big difference in the American system on how we treat that differently. On a currency, when you put your money into a bank, a couple things happen. The first is that you're protected by a system. That system is called the FDIC. You are protected as a depositor up to a certain threshold, typically two hundred fifty for an individual, $500,000 for a household or a married couple, where we're trying to create some trust in that system. That bank is not keeping all of your money in its coffers at all times. Banks are levered instruments. What they are doing, they're taking some portion of the money that is deposited with them. They're using that money to make loans, mortgages, small business loans, personal loans, credit cards, you name it. That's the simplest version of what a bank does is they are trying to basically arbitrage the difference on what they pay you in interest and what they collect in interest on their lending portfolio. If we take away all the other functions of a bank, that's what a bank is doing. You are protected in that because of a federal guarantee that that bank will be solvent or that you will be made whole if it fails. In securities, you have a different type of protection. That is called SIPC or SIPC. That was created in, uh, I think it was 1970, after a bunch of brokers failed in the late 60s. SIPC is essentially an organization that does not guarantee the value of your securities. But what they do is if the broker goes insolvent, they will help recover securities that were in your name. There's a big difference there, but the security value isn't being guaranteed, but it's also not being lent to other people in most cases. Now, there may be situations where you can do some shorting and shorting is borrowed shares from other people. But for the most part, if you own a simple brokerage account, you buy the the shares and then they sit there and they are not commingled. Your money is not being used as collateral in most cases for somebody else's trade. That's a really big difference from what's happening here where you've got essentially a bank that, as far as I know, doesn't have capital controls because these aren't regulated like banks, right? Like the, the lack of regulation here is the problem that is leading to this type of thing. And in many cases, I think this will probably be the catalyst that starts to fix it and add that stability. I think this is a big enough failure that it's going to have to happen at this point. We do need some regulation for cryptocurrency to stabilize this market. Yeah, and I think most crypto bulls are 
even though the situation is bad, are excited to have that kind of regulation because it brings legitimacy to the market. So something that people have been clamoring for and are big time believers in can now say, look, this is a real thing. You have security here. This can function like other marketplaces. Um, And ultimately, that hopefully is a good thing for those people. I mean, doesn't that seem a little bit antithetical to the entire purpose of it? And and I'm not saying there's not usefulness. Uh, I saw Kevin O'Leary talk about this. He was on CNBC, and he was basically talking about how bad the ACH system and the SWIFT system is, which are two of the kind of backbone networks that we move money around on. And they are bad. And they are bad. ACH is essentially an electronic check, right? It uses the check clearing network, and it goes a little bit faster than a check, but it kind of sucks. It's not a good way to send money. Banks don't really like doing it, which is why you've seen these kind of consumer-facing overlays, things like Venmo, things like Cash App, things like Zelle, which is kind of the banking system's own answer to this problem, pop up because sending money from one person to another has historically been very annoying that if there is a digital secure way to do that, that is valuable. Now, whether you're moving US dollars or some other stable coin, great. But I, Kevin O'Leary was making that point, And to that, I agree. For sure. I actually just finished a book on the metaverse, I believe aptly called the metaverse. And they were talking about how for a metaverse to exist, that problem needs to be solved, which is why the crypto world is so intertwined with the metaverse, because you need to facilitate that kind of immediate payment processing and have like free flowing payment rails for you to be able to exist in this virtual world. So let me ask you this, Dan, because I've seen people comparing uh, who was the CEO, he stepped down, but Sam Bankman freed. I've seen people comparing him to Elizabeth Holmes online already. Now, Elizabeth Holmes uh, was committing, I'm going to call it unrestricted fraud, right? She was willfully and intentionally defrauding the market on what her company could do. Sam Bankman-Fried, is this just bad business or do you think this is nefarious, right? Is this like horrible risk management? He's like the Lehman risk team of 08. Like, like what, what is actually happening here? Do you think, and again, we're not, we don't want to commit slander against anybody. This is all pure speculation. But does this read to you as actual fraud or does it read more like somebody that got in way over their head in terms of the implications of their business? I think it's hard to tell at this point. If I had to guess, I would put money on fraud, right? There, there is clear mismanagement happening here. And they're like lending customer funds from one business to another business that you control. Like, I can't see any way that nobody told him this is dangerous. This is a bad idea. Like, at some point, someone must have said something and he must have known that was a bad idea. Um, you know, that jeopardizes the finances of tons of people, not only the business. Um, We didn't mention this, but there was a hack in the FTX system like soon after all of this came to light. And, you know, it's very convenient that there was a hack like days after they announced that they were having this problem. You know, we don't know who took the money or where it is or anything like that. And I guess that's soon to be found out if, if at all, if that's possible. But, you know, I don't think it would be crazy for that to be an inside job if, if it's traceable. Yeah. I mean, like like we said, going all the way back to our million dollar deli episode, it may not be something nefarious going on, but it sure looked like it 
And the guys running that deli, that public company eventually got indicted, which we didn't cover on our show. But uh, we did have our day of redemption and at least our suggestion there that that was probably not on the up and up. Yeah, we don't need to unpack that right now. But this smells like that that to me as well. I agree. It, it does. And, and we have a narrative. Uh, their CEO, SBF, as we call him for short, was on Twitter just saying crazy stuff. Like that is not you know the reaction of a sound person who who kind of had strong grips on his business reports of the company culture have come out and it is crazy like filled with encouraging people to do all sorts of drugs and stuff like that i mean and i recently learned that apparently michael Ber- michael berry is that his name michael burry uh yeah he write the big short yeah uh, no no, no. Yeah. you're talking about michael lewis Oh yeah, Michael. My, my, yeah, M- Michael Burry right. is the investor in the right. Big Short. Michael Lewis is the author of the book. All right, so let's let's go back. Okay, he was already writing on Sam Bankman-Fried, right? Yeah, he's been there inside the company for six months. I'm sure he has crazy stories that we're going to learn about soon. But there was a story there. He knew enough that he wanted to be in that spot, seeing what's happening. And I'm sure, um, I'm sure when his book ultimately comes out, it's going to be fantastic, and we're going to have a better sense of you know, what SBF was thinking throughout. I mean, first of all, I'm, I'm already excited to read that. I, I like his work. I loved Flash Boys, the big short money ball, obviously great books, great films. He seems to be right on it in terms of kind of what's going on in the business landscape and then being able to tell those stories so effectively. So uh, that I am excited about. Let me ask you this. One of the things that seems to be... Um, fairly rampant in the crypto community is what I'm going to call the illusion of legitimacy. Uh, and I, we, we kind of talked about it earlier that FTX had already named an arena for itself. It had bought $135 million naming rights. Now, granted, that's over a many-year period, but that's a long time. And that's a lot of money. Uh, you're talking about celebrity endorsers to the tune of Tom Brady and others. You've got others kind of, I think you even brought this up recently, like Matt Damon doing different crypto exchanges, but you've got a lot of people kind of in on this with their hand in the pocket. And I'm not going to suggest that somebody like Tom Brady is going to do the due diligence on the the backend financials to have seen this coming, right? I don't think that that's their job as a, um, a celebrity endorser that's being paid for their likeness. I also think Tom Brady was invested in this and probably just took a bath uh, and continued what's a pretty rough year for him. But what's the level of responsibility that should be had there on if you're going to put your name on something and, and ultimately people have their wealth and their livelihood at stake? Yeah, that's a tough question. I'm not sure I would assign any financial responsibility to them. They were paid to do a job. They did their job. Now, I don't think this means that they're not going to have uh, a PR impact. It looks very bad, and you're going to judge people accordingly for being in bed with potentially a, a fraudulent company. Um, but you know, I have a hard time saying that people have a role to play in what happened to the folks who lost money just because they were paid advertisers. And, and yeah, that's a, that's a blurry line, right? Because at some point, you know, you're going to back things that you believe in and that you trust in, but also, you know, I don't think Tom Brady was money talks, money, right? But money talks. Yeah, at, right? at the end of the day, there, there's a big enough check for most of us to endorse something 
Like, uh, I don't know. Uh, how, how big of a check do I need to to decide that cigarettes maybe not that bad? Yeah, don't worry about it. That, that they're who just want to relax, have a little good time. Who knows? I played in a cover. This reminds me of a, a band I played in, and everyone always told the lead singer he looked like Hootie from Hootie and the Blowfish or Darius Rucker, and he hated that. He would never play a Hootie and the Blowfish song if people asked. Then one day, someone gave us each a hundred bucks to play "Let Her Cry" or something, and he just went right into it. Money talks. You're going to give me a hundred bucks. I will sing whatever hootie song you want. There you go. Uh, you know, the other thing, and this is an aside as we kind of wrap up this week's episode, but just along the idea of paying for legitimacy, the other place that that has gone horribly wrong in the last week is at Twitter for $8. You can have the appearance. Uh, well, I guess they've shut it down now, but for $8 a month, you had the ability to look verified on Twitter, and that has led to some crazy stories and just a lot of world-class trolling. Now, ultimately, I think there's some bad things kind of coming out of this, but accounts that look like Pepsi endorsing Coke and then just like all of the the trolling of Elon, I mean, it looks like chaos over there right now. Uh, I feel for all the folks that have been fairly unceremoniously let go from Twitter. They've had a you know basically a 50% drop in their workforce, but that just looks like a bad way to take over a company. Yeah. And I, I don't think Elon cares very much. Like he's addressed it. Clearly they moved very quickly and had some repercussions that they weren't expecting. Um, there were some very funny memes as a result, but Twitter looks like the wild, wild west at the moment. I'll be honest. I've been on it more in the last week in amusement for what's going on than I probably had in many years prior. Now, I think that that amusement will eventually wear off. It needs to go back to being a functional and like useful piece of information. And to the extent that he believes it is a tool for public discourse and for the public good, uh, maybe he'll get it back there. You know, th- there are we're, we're not condemning what he is ultimately going to do. But uh, in the meantime, what a clown show. Can you imagine if they were still traded, what would be happening to the, st- the stock price on a daily basis? I mean, just the the value of that investment he's made, if you had to... I, I mean, I do think that there's a weird lesson there as well in terms of what you can do as a private business and what sacrifices you can make that the public markets would not accept. But man, has it been crazy. So thinking about the FTX scandal, I'm trying to think of what the takeaways are, having watched that unfold. Um, and I think the first one that comes to mind, and I've talked about this often is new industries and new technologies might take decades to to play out. You know, the cryptocurrency space in the scheme of things is still young um and it might be huge down the road. You know, we could be talking about the the whole new economy could be cryptocurrency based. Um but it might take a long time to find out who those winners are going to be. They might not exist yet. And as it relates to cryptocurrency and even investments in innovative spaces, I think the answer is it's okay to be patient and not tr- go all in on something, even though you wholeheartedly believe it, and just learn more. Make sure you understand what you're doing, what you're investing in, where your money is. Um, take controlled risk if you're, if you're comfortable doing it. But it's okay to wait. Well, yeah. And, and at multiple times in the saga of Bitcoin and crypto, there have been these kind of FOMO runs on it, where you've seen the prices just skyrocket and... That behavior happens in the stock market as well, which is the, oh, no, I've missed it. And that is a dangerous feeling to have because 
if everybody starts feeling that, that is what creates a bubble. Is it's I missed it. Maybe I'll wait. Maybe I'll wait. It keeps going up, and then I pile in at the at the very end and and be kind of that final push towards the top. And and at some point that bubble bursts. And um, yeah, I I think it's about position sizing your risk, right? Like if you're if you're going to bet on something speculative, understand that it's speculative. Understand that it's new, and and treat your risk appropriately. Um, so to our listeners that have been in this space, um. Quite honestly, I think if you're long, like if you're if you're a bull long term on crypto, in many cases, I actually think this is a good thing. It it doesn't feel like it, and and especially if you've lost money either on the platform or your money's locked up or you're scared, like that doesn't feel good at all. But I believe that if you are a proponent of this and want there to be regulation and want there to be stability, this is likely the catalyst that creates it. Uh, and so so for that reason. You're long. I, I think this is the right time to be to be thinking about it. Again, I'm not saying that. I'm not necessarily doing that personally. I just uh, I, I think that's my takeaway as well. The other thing I always refer back to is there's a show I used to watch a lot on. I think it was CNBC called The Profit with Marcus Lemonis. Love uh, that show. Me too. He always advocates for the three P's when you're making an investment: people, process, and product. Uh, so if you are making an investment in something like explicit, like a company or whatever. You know, think about those three P's. And here we have people. I mean, Sam Bankman-Fried, is he someone who you trust to to lead this company and lead this platform to success? Product. What is the product you're buying? So here, I think there were two things. You had the token, which arguably is nothing. It's worthless, except unless you assign it value. Or the platform, which I think could have had a lot of value. And then the process, which I'm not familiar with, but you know, presumably they had a, a convenient trading platform for people who were who were storing money and transacting there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think internally their process is probably what failed because they they were not correct risk managers. But um, but I I agree with you in terms of because I I think of like their platform as the product itself is you know do you like it and is it easy to use? The process in in how Marcus refers to it, I think of is like. Are are we being efficient as a business? Are are we doing this in a way that is sustainable and um, and I, yeah, operating I think I, I, exactly? I, I think that's actually the where where they probably failed here is is one person maybe had too much control inside. Yeah, I think we'll we'll read about it in the book. We'll see what happens. Yeah, so I hope that was helpful for anybody that was following this or had been hearing about it and and maybe didn't understand all of what was going on. Uh, I'll admit it's complex. There's a lot of moving parts. Uh, I've tried hard to understand what's going on here. I, I think the implications of it are far-reaching and uh, will affect quite a bit. But I hope that it leads us to a more stable and better world in the future. We appreciate everybody tuning in. Check your balances at Outlook.com is the email address for the show. If you would like to hear Dan and I weigh in on something that's on your mind, we'd love to hear from you. We'll catch you all next week. <laughs>